I want to maybe make this a call to action for like any choreographers and dancers, performers, theater artists out there who might be listening to this, that there is a very big need for our expertise in these technologies and the development and design of them going forward. Because I feel like our work, which is very much embodied, we understand a lot of the needs and a lot of pitfalls to avoid when looking at how we're engaging people in spatial design and spatial computing. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be learning from Valencia James. Valencia was born and raised in Barbados and studied modern dance in Budapest, Hungary. While living in Europe, she had the opportunity to perform work in international venues by some of the world's most adventurous choreographers. However, it wasn't until she started asking questions about what role artificial intelligence might play in shaping the future of the performing arts that she truly found her passion. Today, Valencia works with innovative technologists and scientists to create collaborative performance pieces that blur the boundary between artificial intelligence and the human performer. Her explorations also hint at how different the experience of performance may be for future artists and audiences alike. She and her collaborators have presented their research and AI-infused work at conferences all over the world. In fact, two days after this interview, dancing in front of a camera in her home in Redwood City, California, she premiered a brand new live immersive piece titled Suga, a live virtual dance performance in the New Frontier exhibition of the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. And heads up, her final two performances will take place on the evening of Thursday, January 27th at 8 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're hearing this episode before then, you'll be able to catch the show online. I've included a link in our show notes. Valencia spoke to me from her home in Redwood City. I asked her at what point in her dance education she started thinking about marrying her art to technology. Oh, yes. So I think it it was just like around 2013. uh, I was still working in in Hungary and there's, you know, some amazing opportunities to create because studio space is very affordable. And so I had the opportunity to do a, a research residency with my partner, Botan Bognar, and and he was just uh, starting to visit Silicon Valley. And uh, he would come back and talk about, you know, things like disruptive technologies. And we would watch presentations around, like, how technology is changing our lives so much, especially machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I started to wonder about, uh, well, I see how the the taxi and the hotel industries are disrupted. So I wonder what will happen in the performing arts where, you know, the human body is so important. And so we took that opportunity to ask some questions about, well, if I could somehow teach a computer to dance and through that have a duet with an avatar that would be able to learn my movements and then extend them and um, show me new ones well you know what would that mean for live performance you know how would it affect the future of that but then I found the most important question was like 
how is my understanding of dance evolving because of this interaction? And could you answer that question of yours? How has your understanding of dance evolved as a result? So it was a it became like a multi-year project. So we we didn't have much money, but because of that, we found us we created a system, a, a tool that caused the, the avatar, the dancing avatar, to improvise, and so it became like this creative partner. And we didn't give any like limitations, so it could do very strange movements. And so I found that extended my idea of of what dance could be and what like a so-called like movement could be. So it's like I could break out of certain movement habits. But the computer, of course, the avatar can do movements that are literally impossible for the human body. Yeah. So what can you learn from an avatar that is not inhabiting a human body? Yeah, it really could push. So because it, it just dances and dances and never gets tired or it doesn't stop. I found like it for me, it was just mesmerizing to watch the movements because it elicited this this urge to to join it in the dance, to imitate, to riff off of the, the the movements and the kind of that visual stimulus that I was seeing. And so I found like it started to push me beyond my limits. I felt compelled to just keep moving and moving until I couldn't move anymore or or I was very intrigued to try to imitate those kind of humanly impossible poses and see what where pushing those limits of my body can take me. And so it brought a new type of movement quality that then I was able to use in another piece called Between the World and Me. And I found like trying to do these contortions, it gave like this poetic voice or this poetic language to talk about how I felt in, in the Hungarian society at that time. So Between the World and Me was not a dance with the avatar, but it was, you're saying the, the, the movement vocabulary was influenced by your experience with the computer, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I found like this um, research with um, my project AIM brought about this, this way of, of, of finding this movement language that I found was, was a great metaphor for what it's like to be a Black woman in a primarily um, white society and dealing with, it gave voice to what it's like to have these microaggressions or awkward situations that could ha- were happening like daily uh, on the streets. So uh, that was something unexpected. Can you give a specific example of a movement or a, a particular instance in Between the World and Me where you felt you developed something that you couldn't have without your uh, AI experience? I chose to use uh, primarily quite disjointed movement. And so there are points in the piece kind of like, it, it's like the connecting thread between the different kind of scenes that I, I um, developed, where I move from one part of the stage to the other. And I would try to find some, go from a, a very extreme pose to another extreme pose I guess like the the closest movement form to that might be flexing. Like um, how can how far can my shoulder joints kind of wrap around the back of my body, or or some kind of um, inversions that may have you know my my legs kind of wrapping around in a in a new way. Yeah, so it was like just figuring out what's that sensation and seeing you know what kind of movement is coming from that. What are you hoping you talked about wanting to think about disrupting the world of dance through technology? In what other ways do you think the world of dance 
can and should be disrupted these days? Well, I mean, I wasn't. So my my motivation is not to disrupt, but just thinking around that, what does disruption mean, right? Because uh-huh. the world is changing so much at a pace that we just, you know, it, it's it's not like will it happen or not. It is happening. So what are we doing with it? And I'm curious about how it could extend our creativity. How could it? How can we create new opportunities from this rather than feel like we are victims, but like, how can we be more agents in it? Something that I have noticed is, for one, access to actually engaging with these new technologies for artists. That's one thing, because this type of research requires a lot of funding, but also knowing technologists who, you know, are open to collaboration. So one thing that has I've been quite fortunate with is is finding technologists to work with who are receptive to new ideas outside of their domain. And the other is audience access. So thinking about how contemporary arts and contemporary dance and theater can reach new audiences, audiences who would not necessarily pay for a theater ticket. Okay, you've brought up how technology can provide new opportunities. So now's a good time to talk about the volumetric performance toolbox which you developed during the pandemic. When everything was shutting down, you came up with a new program. Can you describe it and talk about how it emerged? Yes. um, So just around the time of the lockdown, I'd been contacted about restaging uh, the piece uh, from AIM. We we had just created an evening-length show called I Am Here. And then that got cancelled um, but because I was thinking about restaging it and I, I always wanted to figure out how to get the dancing avatar into the theater space, like using maybe augmented reality technology, uh, when that got canceled, it dawned on me like theaters are closed, but what if the performer, what if I as the performer can perform in the computer? How can I get into the computer and dance there? And so I had contacted a friend, um, he was a creative technologist called Sewer Bluey, and he thought the idea was really great and connected me with his mentor, Thomas Wester, another amazing uh, creative technologist. And at this time, Thomas had been uh, looking at volumetric recordings, volumetric video, and that means basically using a special camera that can understand how far you are from it. It's a depth sensing camera. And using that to recreate like a 3D video rather than a a flat 2D video like we're used to on Zoom, but create a kind of a a way to have the performer in virtual space and not need like an avatar. So you can see them in real time um, from wherever they're performing. And it's all using uh, depth sensing cameras. Um, And so that's how uh, this project was born. We were able to apply for a residency from um, IBEAM. It's a remote residency called Rapid Response. Through that uh, support, we did a lot of research and development and came up with like this toolkit that involves open source software. Uh, we used uh, Mozilla Hub's social virtual reality platform, which is a free platform by Mozilla where audiences can go into a virtual performance space using only their computers and web browsers. We also developed open hardware, like a low-cost kit that any artist can um, use and have this video 
broadcasted from their living rooms. And so this is what we've been working with. Did you all decide, decide as a team early on that it would be open source or um, that it wouldn't cost very much to get that package? Yes. So that was like the one of the, the first kind of goals, the first question, okay, how can we create something that artist, an artist can afford? And because, you know, at the time we saw like a lot of the technology requires a very expensive computer and a very expensive camera. And so one of the things that Sora suggested was how can we do this using a very small uh, computer called a Raspberry Pi. So it's a, it's a very tiny computer box you can program. And so we ended up having a kit that is about, it's just about $350. So it's um, something that, you know, we, during the project, we were able to develop like an educational program where we had invited seven artists and we shipped each artist a kit and we did like this communal co-learning and co-creation um, with that. And what did you, what was the feedback you got back from, from the, uh, the seven artists? It was amazing um, just to to learn about this technology together, and I and I found that they were super open and very like they came up with amazing solutions to performances using like the, you know the, the kit has its limitations, so they embraced the limitations and made some beautiful performances from that. And so we we did like this a live event on Mozilla Hubs. And also we were able to um, do a launch with iBeam and also um, make an installation where we projected the performance that was happening online onto the public facing doors of Abron's Art Center in New York. And so it was very successful. And can you talk about the project you're presenting at this year's Sundance Film Festival? So through this project volumetric performance toolbox, I developed a virtual performance called Sugar. It's a live virtual dance performance, and it's a it's a collective immersive experience where the audience is uh, meets in this virtual world and navigates around. And I, as the performer, I perform from my living room into this virtual space. And the story is about the transatlantic slave trade and the establishment of the sugar industry in the Caribbean. I use this virtual performance as a way to honor my ancestors and think of virtual environments as a place where you can reclaim spaces that um, are historically filled with pain and injustice with virtual acts of healing. And so my dance performance is like a, a healing ritual and in commemorating the resilience and beauty of our people. And so this work has been selected for this year's New Frontier exhibition at Sundance Film Festival. And the New Frontier and the festival will actually open tomorrow, January 20th. And we will do um, like about six, a run of six performances throughout this Friday, the 21st, Saturday, 22nd, and next Thursday, the 27th. And there'll be two performances daily. So at a set time, you will be in your living room? Yes. And you will perform live for a virtual audience. And what we, describe what the audience will see. They'll see you performing in a virtual environment. Yes. So correct? we have, so for this, we found the spatial data of the Annenberg Sugar Mill. 
This is a sugar mill site in St. John, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And so it was open data. It was actually scanned by a company called SciArc, and they go around the world scanning um, many World Heritage sites. They make it available for free online. And so we're able to, t- to download this data and reproduce it in um, Mozilla Hubs, which is a social virtuality platform. And so I was able to place my 3D um, video in there. So it looks like I'm actually dancing on or within the, um, the sugar mill. I see. And the sugar mill, of course, being in terms of history and the history of slavery and sugar is a, is a, crucial, is a crucial site. Yes, yes. The sugar mill was where many people of African descent lost their lives. They just, you know, it was forced um, labor. And of course, you know, it's there's a lot of pain still there. And the thing is with this piece, what I want to highlight is that, yes, slavery was abolished, you know, at the latter part of the 19th century, but the legacy of it still lives on. The laws that were established um, like 400 years ago in the islands, especially in Barbados, where I'm from, were the blueprint for the laws and the systems of control that still oppress Black people today in the U.S. and around the world. For this, I believe that it's really important to understand the, uh, the origins of these injustices and understand it's not something that is just history, it's gone. These are real laws and economic systems that still exist today. That's my aim to, to highlight in this, in this work as well. To see, for the audience to see a Barbadian woman dancing and reclaiming this, this historically loaded space without actually having to be in St. John, right? Yes, or even be in the same um, physical space. We can do this uh, virtually. I also have to acknowledge and thank my, uh, my collaborators, Thomas Wester, Simon Bowles, Holly Newlands, Marin Vaselli, Sandrine Mallory, Terry Ayanna Wright, and Carlos John Stavila. Um, who generously uh, gave up all their their skills and energy to make this work what it is. I imagine that a lot of artists who might be listening to this might be intimidated about approaching scientists to work with them, to collaborate them. What would you tell them? Uh, Well, I do understand this, you know, that, that hesitancy and even fear. Like, I, I personally find it really exciting to think about how can you know say your 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 artistic practice or your like choreographic approach how might it be applied say in in another medium like you know in in, in computer science or how might computer approaches or scientific approaches influence or inspire you know your your work or your choreography or or your painting and I would say, you know, you start small, like if you can find, just start speaking to someone whose work um, you find interesting. I think, you know, just just a conversation is already, you know, a wonderful step in, in the direction if, you know, if you want to explore interdisciplinary collaboration. It sounds like that was, in a way, that's why you found, how you found the perfect collaborators is that there was an ethos to start with in the projects that they would be accessible. I mean, it feels like there was an act of generosity at the heart of it. Yes, everyone is super generous. I mean, the thing is with any artwork, it's very expensive. And then 
working with technology, you know, it makes it even more like expensive to, to develop. So my, my collaborators are very generous in, in the giving of their time and their expertise. You know, we have like this common, a common goal and a common ethos that unites us. So definitely. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for, for them. I'm sitting here thinking that describing you as a dancer choreographer doesn't even begin to capture a tenth of what you do. How oh, how do you how do you describe yourself when somebody asks you what do you do? Do you say dancer choreographer? I don't I don't use the word uh, choreographer because I feel like I'm still learning the craft, you know. And I usually say I'm a performer and researcher. Ah. And and maybe I will add maker if the if the like uh, word count allows. <laughs> um, but I, I I guess I'm still I'm still uh, discovering that. But I definitely like to to say I, I work I I work through like interdisciplinary collaborations. Yeah, but a, a certain yeah I, I don't know what to <laughs> say. It's it's evolving. So what's most important, I think, has been in the past couple of months, like my mind has literally been expanded into pushing through those limits of what I thought I could do. So I was really very much still thinking in the frame of dance. And then in the past couple of months, I've been thinking about, well, my work can also live in like visual arts or even gaming. And these are ideas like literally like this is like in the past couple of weeks of of, of, of meeting people in gaming and understanding, well, yeah, gaming is an extension of theater. And this is something like I'm now realizing and, and I want to learn more about that. And it sounds like you'll be at the forefront of AR and VR research going forward. Yes, I definitely feel like so. And, and this is like, I, I want to maybe make this a call to action for like any choreographers and dancers, performers, theater artists out there who might be listening to this that there is a very big need for our expertise in these technologies and the development and design of them going forward. Because I feel like our work, which is very much embodied, we understand a lot of the needs and a lot of pitfalls to avoid when looking at how we're engaging people in the spatial design and spatial computing. There, there is a lot that we can offer to this realm. And, and I think, you know, that's where that interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary research and collaboration with technologists becomes very important. Can you talk about a kind of a pie-in-the-sky dream project that you're dreaming of? Oh, um, hmm. I'm actually going to go back. I'm applying to go back to school <laughs> um, yeah. to do an MFA. So my dream right now is to acquire like the, that, those critical and, and technical skills and learn those tools like programming and, and so on, like in a more like hands-on way. I guess not pie in the sky, but I, I want to really delve into um, the study and to in creation in interactive, immersive technologies and looking at how I can use those tools to continue telling stories of, you know, my stories of, of marginalized communities. And then I think it's early in your career to be asking this question of what the heck else I'll ask it. What are you hoping that the current work you're doing what are you hoping its contribution to the field of dance will be? Well, I, I see for me, like when I approach emerging technologies, I'm, I'm always asking about how how can this enhance my creativity? Like how can it push me into discoveries that I wouldn't 
otherwise have been able to find. And so I hope that um, the work that I do and, and the tools that I've created in the process can be used by many. I love talking to an artist at a point in her career when she could go in any direction. It'll really be exciting to keep up with Valencia and her research. And remember that if you're hearing this before January 27th, 2022, you yourself can watch Suga, a live virtual dance performance online. The link to the event is in our show notes, or you can just head to festival.sundance.org and search for the performance in their new frontier section. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and maybe even a review so more listeners can find us. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre-Carlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>